Welcome to the Essential Intel Emotions podcast with your host, Jax Sullivan. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 2 of the Authential Intellimotions podcast with me, Jack Sullivan. How are you? I hope you're well. Today's episode is centred around EQ and self. We launched on um, Valentine's Day, so we had a look at EQ and dating, and this week it's going to be around the massive topic of EQ and self. So I'm going to kick off with um, a story in this episode, and it's called The Unwanted Hug. The street was awash with a thousand revellers on a bitter winter's night that was ready to ring in the new millennium. Heavy coats, woolly hats and big scarves warmed the celebration from the outside, whilst their chosen poison helped them forget they even needed it. Three, two, one. Happy New Year, Carmel. Did I say you look beautiful tonight? Carol had decided tonight was the night that he would kiss Carmel. It was the perfect excuse. They'd been friends for as long as he could remember, but he had always wanted to take the leap into something more. But something or someone had always got in the way. Tonight, Carmel was single, and so was he, and she had never looked more beautiful in her own unique way. Her black Chelsea boots peeked out from below her long grey coat that was inches from the floor, her petite frame drowning in the pure new wool. She was wearing one of those cute knitted hats with the two pom-poms that moved her ears to the back of her head like two odd-shaped bunny ears. Happy New Year, Carol. Carmel threw her arms around him for a friendly hug from one of the guys she trusted most in her life. But just as she pulled away, he leaned in. His lips landed on hers. It took her a moment to register what was happening. The heady cocktail of the crowd, the music, the beers swirled into an unexpected moment. Only a few seconds passed before she pulled away. What the hell, Carol? She was shocked by his small, bold move. But, but, but I thought it's what you want. She never let him finish. Her gut wrenched. Eh, I have to go, guys. Enjoy your night, she said goodbye to everyone and shot Carol a look that was filled with disappointment and anger. Where are you going? He shouted after her. Home. I need to go. You had no right. Do not follow me. She was walking as fast as she could, wishing her feet would turn into wheels as she escaped the crowded square. Why had she let him kiss her? They were just friends. Why did he think it was okay to do that to her without asking? She had found her way to a main road, and with some stroke of luck, an orange light came whizzing towards her. She flagged a taxi, climbed in. 17 Quarry Lane, please. What was that smell? Cigars. Her driver had been smoking a cigar, perhaps. Fifteen minutes later, she was home safe in her pyjamas, craving a cup of hot chocolate. Messages from Carol were pinging in, but she couldn't speak to him yet. Why was she so affected by this? He wasn't a bad guy. He'd just done a stupid thing. Couldn't she have just explained that she didn't think of him like that? A message pinged in from her dad. Happy New Year from all of us, with a photo attached of her mum, dad, her uncle, Don and Aunt Sheila. Her uncle Don had a cigar hanging out of his mouth. Her mouth fell open as her mind careered backwards. Suddenly she was outside a coffee shop in the high street with her mum, dad, aunt and uncle. Her pyjamas replaced by a cute little burgundy duffel coat and trainers with little unicorns on them. She heard her dad's voice telling her to give her uncle a hug. She felt her body recoil the same way as it had then. She liked her uncle, but they weren't that close. He lived in Australia and she had never met him before that time. 
Was it any wonder she didn't want to hug a stranger? That's what he was. She felt her dad's hand on her shoulder as he carelessly shunted her small body forward on the pavement. She remembered objecting and she remembered that it fell on deaf ears because he would be sad if she never gave him a hug. The smell of cigars cigars was stuck to his coat and was now racing up through her tiny hairs in her nose and into her eyes. She'd stood frozen to the floor, the soles of her trainers like two magnets pulling her into the earth's core, her arms rooted into their sockets like a unicorn's horn. They told me it was only a hug, no harm done, hugs were good. Carmel grabbed her phone, replied to her dad and then opened Carol's messages. Hey, we need to talk. You were out of order, but I know that wasn't about you. Call me tomorrow, have a good night, see. The sea looked naked without a kiss beside it, but it wasn't the time for kisses. Carol replied straight away. I'm so sorry, see. I shouldn't have done that. I'm at home. Don't feel like celebrating. Call you tomorrow. See. Kiss, kiss. She knew she could explain to him that he would understand. Carmel finished her hot chocolate and climbed into bed. The new millennium hadn't started as she'd thought it would, but she had a feeling tomorrow would be better. Before she switched off her phone, she opened Carol's message and typed kiss and sent it. Dear Jax, it's the 29th of February tomorrow, a leap year, which means there's a tradition of women asking men to marry them. My nan and papa got married when they were too young. It was the 1950s and they were miserable and it caused a lot of problems for my dad, so his mum and dad. But somehow my mum and him were really good at spotting what had happened to them and they made sure that they didn't pass all that stuff on to me. So I'm really grateful for that. But saying that, I know that my girlfriend is desperate for me to propose to her and I'm nervous that she's going to seize this. 29th of February thing and I don't want to hurt her by saying no but I'm just not ready to propose to her yet. I love her so much but it's just not where I'm at at the moment and any advice would be great. Thank you. Uh, So I would say first of all I think it's fantastic that your mum and dad managed to spot what they might potentially bring through from their experience growing up into your experience growing up and made sure that they gave you the best chance to wire your brain for love, safe love, safety, security, feeling self-assured and good self-esteem and all that good stuff. So that's excellent and I'm making assumptions there but I'm assuming that's what you mean by not passing all their stuff on to you. So um, in terms of your girlfriend proposing to you tomorrow, ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Maybe she won't. Um, maybe, maybe you need to have that conversation with her before she does. Maybe you could have that conversation with her today, tonight. And... Or else it's just going to have to be when she, if she does it, rather than preempting it. Actually, maybe that might be better. Just wait and see, and then it's prepare yourself for having an honest conversation about why you don't want to do it, and 
why you want to be the one to propose to her. So going to reference a pop culture story here, and I'll be doing this quite a lot in the podcast because I want to try and weave in pop culture. I think it's a really interesting way to highlight things. And the thing I'm going to talk about now is one of my guilty pleasures, which is Made in Chelsea. Made in Chelsea recently had an episode where two of the characters, and I am going to call them characters because I don't know how real they are on Made in Chelsea. They're probably caricatures of themselves, aren't they? It's reality TV isn't real, so but it was James and Mava who got who were together for quite a while and Mava was desperate for James to propose. And she did what you're nervous about your girlfriend doing tomorrow and she actually did end up proposing to James. And I do think it was probably all theatre for the programme, but I'm going to use it anyway. Because it's a good example, because James basically said no, and he told her he was very honest about why, and it was good TV, um, and I'm I'm 100% certain that it was all just for show, but he wanted to make sure that he was in the right place, and from what I remember, I think it was just two years ago, I think it was 2022 this happened, or it might actually have just been last year, but anyway... He wanted to make sure that he was in the right headspace and he also, I think he also had a bit of a plan for how he wanted to do it and the way he wanted to do it. So maybe that's the angle you need to take with your girlfriend is that you'll do it when you're ready and that you want to be the one to plan this. You want her to give you that luxury and that space and that privilege to be able to do something she might have well she might have had built this all up to be this big romanticized thing and she's also potentially taken that away from herself as well so you could let her know that you want to give her that because you know that that's what she wants but she just has to exercise a wee bit of patience and everything will be good so best of luck and uh, i hope it all goes well i'm sure it will bye So now we're on to the EQ and self-awareness part of the podcast. What I want to hone in on today is the importance of EQ for knowing what you want and need, for knowing what your own wants and your own needs are. Part of being emotionally intelligent is being very attuned to your own self, your own sense of self. And you can't know who you are if you don't even know what you want or what you need. Now. People who innately know what they want and need and I'm going to return to the example that I've just used actually, Mava from Maiden Chelsea. It's a good way, it doesn't even matter if you know who it is or if you don't know what it is, it's still a way to highlight and give examples and make it more relatable. Um, Mava, for example, in Maiden Chelsea, she is a woman who has innately been given the gift of knowing exactly who she is, knowing exactly what she wants and needs and not being afraid to ask for it and communicate her wants and needs. And it's such a, it's a characteristic and a trait that I absolutely admire. 
uh, you'll find that if you watch what I find interesting about Made in Chelsea when you watch it, I know again, I know that it's all dramatised and reality TV and inverted commas, you know, even though they have the trials and tribulations around love and whatever. And again, I don't know if that's all dramatised for the show because it's the same, it's basically the same stuff all the time, isn't it? There's a lot of incestuous uh, goings on <laughs> between them all. But, um, you know, there's, whilst they, they all have their ups and downs in romantic relationships, they do all have a lot of self-awareness. They do all seem to kind of know who they are. Um, I probably I feel a bit weird about talking about them actually because they're real life people. Um, even though I don't think that they really are who they are on on that program, but Maeva certainly. Maeva is a great example. She knows exactly what she wants and needs. And then there's Emily. She's another female on the show that I really enjoy watching, and I enjoyed watching. Not enjoyed, but I was fat. I was intrigued when her and her ex split up uh, Harvey and the way it was portrayed in the show and how emotionally intelligent Emily dealt with it. I mean, she was literally, she just cut herself off completely from it. You know, there was no there was no drama around it. There was none of this nonsense that you see on some shows of going back and forwards and back and forwards. And I've done that in my past and it is not healthy. In fact, it is one of the big indicators, I believe, of lack of emotional intelligence is when men and women keep going back to the same. It's the Ross and Rachel thing, isn't it? Um, if you know what you want and you know what you're looking for, you should. we should be able to just cut things off um, and I believe that a, a really big indicator of emotional intelligence is knowing what you want and need. How do we as a society and how do we as individuals make sure that we know what we want and need? I think this is a I think this is a huge part of growing up in the adolescent brain period between twelve and twenty four. Actually, from infancy, we should be learning about what we want and what we need, um, and it should be an ongoing daily task that the adults around us should be helping us facilitate not having people around us berate us I suppose for our wants and needs um you know some people in our lives can sort of say things that actually go against what we're wanting and needing and make us feel like our choices are not good choices so then we start to question ourselves don't we so it's giving adolescents especially the space to make mistakes and to try new things and to and even younger than that to try new things and to to give them a bit of time to breathe to through that process of learning and sort of that sort of uncomfortable period of trying something new and knowing that you have to give something a bit of time before you realize whether or not you want it or need it um that's also what you want and what you need are also uh, centred around the boundaries, isn't it? And whether you're modelled boundaries or if you're not modelled boundaries um, and and the sort of relationships around you that are modelled to you when you're growing up, um, you get to actually, you'll, a lot of children learn by osmosis, don't they? They learn from a lot from what's what they're modelled and what they see and what they hear. So um, if we can if we're communicating and if we're around adults who are able to communicate what they want and need clearly, then children and adolescents can also learn from that. Um, and it's all, it's about 
finding out what we want and need and finding out how we communicate that respectfully to other people. Yeah, I think that's really important and it's a really big indicator of um, good or not so good emotional intelligence is knowing what we want and need. So perhaps a little exercise for anyone who, for anyone listening who does need to figure out what their wants and needs are is to just really take time out to consider that. Journaling is something that I always come back to. It's worked so well and it's why I've got the writing to rewire section and the podcast as well so take time out figure out what you want what you need from life um not based on conditioning not based on what you think you want and need and that a lot of that comes from being connected to our emotions and how things are making us feeling and being brave enough to step into fear and to step through that fear and start doing things for ourselves that that we're not used to doing because we're so disconnected from our wants and needs. Today's feature is based around, because the episode is about EQ and self, I believe that utilising emotion coaching as an adult can be very helpful in connecting us to ourselves. I will explain a bit about what emotion coaching is and why I think it's better than reparenting. So emotion coaching is rooted in a parenting style. It was a parenting style that was noted during research in the 1990s by Gottman and his team. And the four main parenting styles that came out of that research were disapproving, dismissive, laissez-faire and emotion coaching. And those four methods of parenting, <coughs> whilst they weren't, whilst there wasn't one that was completely 100% done by those parents and it's doubtful that there will be any parents who model one of those all the time. Usually what happens is there's a dominant one, but apparently most parents will flip between the, the four of them, probably less so the emotion coaching. But the <coughs> excuse me, the research showed that the children who had emotion coaching styling style of parenting went on to do better, to be more successful, to be more self-aware, to be more emotionally attuned to themselves and to live happier happier lives really so in June last year I took an Emotion Coaching UK course and Emotion Coaching UK is has taken this style of parenting and they've done a lot of research into actually utilising emotion coaching within the education setting and anyone who works with children in the education section uh, segment sector can train and discover a new way of interacting and being around children in order to help children or coach children through difficult emotions. That's primarily what it's for instead of 
the domineering style, I think, within a lot of schools potentially has been dismissive or disapproving, um, or maybe even laissez-faire. And I should probably explain those parenting styles. I'll do that another time. Today, I want to focus on actually utilising emotion coaching as an adult and why I think it's better than reparenting. So reparenting is what is a Jungian concept of that very loosely says that we as adults need to give ourselves what we weren't given as children. It's I've always found it a bit of a flimsy term. I've always found it a bit also maybe in the same kind of bracket as inner child, which I think I spoke about last in the last episode. I find the terms reparenting and inner child quite I don't know if demoralising is the word, but it's it's maybe a bit subjugating, possibly that's the word, or maybe a bit disempowering, um, because we're adults and we need to learn to treat ourselves as adults and give ourselves what we need as adults, rather than constantly harking back to the past. And that's why I think emotion coaching as an, being used as a tool as an adult is really good, because it it's a five-step process um, that Gottman noticed and I'm not going to lay out the five steps today. I'll, I'll go into emotion coaching in full in another episode um, further down the line. But the reason I think it, it focuses on, for children anyway, it, if children are having a big display of emotion, for example, um, emo- what emotion coaching does is, first of all, empathises the aim is to empathise with what the child is going through and not to dismiss it or disapprove of it or to just let it happen, which is what those, incidentally, what those three parenting styles are. Emotion coaching steps into the arena, I guess, with the child. And you think about how would I feel if this had happened to me and I was that age. Um. And then it's about working through those emotions with the child, helping them to name their emotions and to let them know that their behaviour isn't acceptable in a lot of the situations, depending on what the behaviour was, and that we need to problem solve that and figure out a way for to make the behaviour more acceptable and better. Um, for everyone involved, especially the child, um, who might later on regret it. And certainly in adulthood, that's what we can see when we have a big reaction to something and we say or do something that we know our behaviour was wrong. Um, And as adults, we recognise that in, in childhood and in adolescence, we might not be able to see that as clearly. And it's up to adults to walk through that whole process. However, emotion coaching in adults sort of takes it to the behaviour point. Because if we are not in tune with our emotions as adults, if we've been cut off from our emotions and our wants and needs and we're not very good at communicating our emotions, then our behaviours might actually be the first indicator that something's wrong with us. And we need to be very aware of our behaviour. And usually it'll be something that we're not particularly proud of doing or particularly happy about doing that will alert us to the fact that oh I shouldn't have done that um 
So emotion coaching as an adult then, and it can be actually behaviour that we know isn't helpful for us that we want to fix, for example, eating too much junk food, or which can obvious, which can be a sign of emotional eating, um, or not exercising, um, which can be a sign of not taking care of ourselves as we maybe should, um, and not putting you know that effort into it, uh, or it could be you know too much shopping or whatever it is, too too much time spent on our phones. There's a classic one, you know, and we want to stop that behaviour of scrolling without any reason to scroll. But also emotion coaching for adults. Um, if we say or do something, and it could be something really simple that sparks a huge reaction, we then need to start delving into where did that reaction really come from if it was out of whack with the situation at the time. Because if that's the case, it's probably the it's probably because the reaction was probably because of something that happened a long time ago that's 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 not been dealt with and it's still sitting there. If we fly off the handle about something small, it could be because we weren't listened to or seen or heard, and now we feel like that's happening again to us, and we go on the defensive and we are overreacting to a situation that is like, whoa, what are you doing? Um, so then that's when you start to go into to unravel those those childhood stored emotions in the body and what those um, emotions relate to. And then once we realise, actually, that was, that was crazy what I did there or that wasn't right or I shouldn't have reacted in that way, then that's when we can start to put a bit of space between the reaction, between what's happening and, and the now and the emotional reaction, the visceral reaction that we might be feeling in our body that makes us just do something that we're going to later regret. Um, so it's that's a lot to do with, as well, self-control. And there's an element of delayed gratification um, in there as well, you know, actually being able to say no to something and, and holding off uh, not doing it and that all comes back again to emotion coaching ourselves and being able to tune into those feelings that we have about a certain situation so that's essentially why I think emotion coaching is better than reparenting it is a more structured approach I'll talk about it a lot more that was just a sort of overview of that topic and I will be talking a lot more about that because I really do think it's such a an excellent way to help ourselves tune into our emotions to take responsibility for our behavior whether it's good or bad or whatever or whether we want to start introducing better habits or if we don't want to react in a certain way or it's all about self-awareness really that's what it is whereas reparenting I think if you start to look online for reparenting you'll see a lot of self-care stuff come up and have a bath and get yourself some flowers and um, make sure you eat healthy food and, and all of these things are true but they're not helping you to tune into who you are and what your emotions are and that's exactly why I think emotion coaching as an adult is a fantastic tool So now we're on to the writing to rewire segment of the podcast this is the part of the podcast where I talk about my experience of rewiring my own conditioning and unhelpful patterns that I picked up through my childhood and adolescence that I have been working on for the last seven years. I've tried a lot of different ways of 
to help me um, move forward and to help me build my emotional intelligence and self-awareness and self-respect and all of that good stuff. So I thought it would be useful to share that knowledge and information that I have learned. And journaling has been such a huge part of, of of that time. And I still journal today, every single day. I actually use now, I've moved on to Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way and Morning Pages, which is just freehand stream of consciousness every morning. As soon as you wake up, just write down whatever comes out of your head, really, and get it out onto paper. But today I thought I would start with what started all of this for me, uh, because we because I never knew that there was that I was living in a fog tunnel. If you listen to the last episode, you'll have heard me talking about what I call fog tunnel living, which is when I was living unconsciously, not really knowing who I was, what I wanted, what I needed. I had no self I had very little self awareness. I was a people pleaser. Um I I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted really. I wasn't making choices for myself and what actually was the trigger for me in starting to uncover all that and unravel all that was that I had been single for a long time. And I knew, I mean, I never really thought of myself as being, I'd never had a lot of self-esteem when it came to to guys and to men. And I didn't really think very highly of myself, if I'm being honest. I wasn't confident around men and Unless I'd had alcohol, maybe I, that would give me a bit of fake confidence. Um, but I had been single for a long time, and whilst and I had been on dating apps, often on dating apps, often on dating apps, and there were things happening now and again. But I just didn't know. I didn't know how to navigate dating, and I didn't know how to navigate how to connect with a man emotionally, and. I've probably given away the answer to the question that I asked myself that got me into unravelling all this and that was why am I still single that was really the main thing and it's very easy to say oh but you know you're you're focused on your career or you're happy on your own or you're not bothered it's not your main priority or it'll happen when it'll happen and you've just not met the right person yet it's very easy to say all those things but and while some of them might be true I don't think they were true for me, to be honest. And most people, you want to find somebody that you connect with um, and you want to have that relationship. The thing that was wrong with me was I didn't know what a, what a, a loving, caring, honest, mutually respectful relationship really looked like because I don't, I'm not really sure I'd ever really been around it enough to to know what that looked like and that I, I think that's a lot of the reason why I struggled as well so I think the answer to that question why am I still single now looking back is that I just was not ready to attract the sort of guy I wanted to be with so that's why I kept meeting people that I didn't want to be with or who didn't want to be with me there was just the energy was off there was no, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't love myself. And how can someone possibly love you if you don't love yourself? Again, that's a, a, a cliche, but it's true. So what have I done 
the first thing I did actually on that journey was to go to therapy. And I was in therapy for six weeks. I went to therapy for, I'm sure it was, it was either six or eight weeks. However, I left therapy with basically being told, now go and get on with your life. And I wasn't anywhere near ready to go and get on with my life. I did get on with my life. I did a lot uh, after that. <laughs> I just wasn't, I still wasn't ready to meet anyone. Uh, I kind of started making inroads into the answers that I needed about myself. and But it took me down a lengthy and extended search for me, basically. And if we are disconnected from our emotions and we don't know what we want and need and we don't have self-awareness, then we're just going to keep going round in circles and we're not going to get that relationship that we want to get or that we're not going to... I'm going to rework that. We're not going to make the connection, the type of connection with the type of guy that we want to or women, if there's guys or whatever your sexuality is. Um, and we're just not going to make those healthy authentic connections if we're not authentically connected to ourselves and I believe that's what emotional intelligence does for us as it gives us that authentic connection to ourself it gives us it lets us know what our wants and needs are it lets us have boundaries it lets us say no it lets us have self-respect and to be able to connect with people who also have all those things and journaling is a fantastic way of doing all that and I would highly recommend it and I will keep talking about this um, in another episode now we're on to the next segment which is called setting the stage and this part of the podcast again is where I look at the different stages of development through life and those, as a reminder, are not to six, the infancy years, seven to 11, and then 12 to 24 is the adolescent brain period, and then 25 plus in adulthood. So the reason I want to focus on those, break those stages down, is because this is when the brain is, these stages in life are not to six particularly, and 12 to 24 in particular. These are essentially where there's a lot of wiring going on in our brains. And I was thinking about this the other week, how the brain works and how to represent it in a more tangible way, because it's such an abstract thing, isn't it? Even though we see pictures of the brain or we see, we can go and see brains in jars and things like that and formaldehyde and Glasgow Uni, if they've still got that display. I was kind of trying to think about how to explain or how to communicate better about how the brain is wiring and firing and forming neural pathways, which can either be helpful or can be a hindrance to us. The brain is wired for safety. And as children, we naturally want to be around the people who we are, have been born into and who we see as our protectors and if they are protecting us in unsafe ways the brain will be wired to think that safety is violent or safety is abuse or safety is derisory or safety is humiliating you know so 
whether or not it's good or bad, the, the brain will wire that way and it, that's what it's wired for, for safety. So I kind of started to think about the brain as being like Spaghetti Junction and imagining cars just firing round this Spaghetti Junction, going at all different speeds. And actually, if parts of Spaghetti Junction were to start, if the road was to start breaking down or if the roads were slowed down, then the cars would have to move slower so those pathways wouldn't get used so much. So if you imagine that the messaging that we receive, that the conditioning we receive are those cars, if the conditioning that we receive is that safety is associated with violence, then those cars are going to be running along those roads really fast. They're going to be running along the violent roads really fast. And the roads that represent love and affection and caring and kindness, those roads are going to be very slow and they're not going to really fire up at all. Whereas it's the opposite for children who are shown that they are safe and secure in a loving, caring, supportive environment. So that's kind of what I started to think about was that Spaghetti Junction was quite a good way to think about it. And then in adolescence, what can happen is if we wanted to remove those pathways or to limit those pathways of, or to prune back those pathways of associating safety with violence, what we'd want to do is make the cars go slower on those roads and speed up the cars on the part of Spaghetti Junction where the roads represent love and affection and all that good stuff. So we'd need to be doing things for the adolescent brain for adolescents that tune in to those roads that we want to go faster and prune away and move the cars off of the roads that are currently faster of violence and and abuse or whatever it might be. So we need to shift those cars off of those roads and onto the roads that are a bit slower and get them moving faster on those roads that are currently slow. And I think that that's up to all the adults around about adolescents to know that and to be more aware of that. And again, I want to really hit this hit home with this message is, and, and, and I think that everyone should know, especially parents and people who are going to be parents and the children and the adolescents of today who are going to be the parents of the future potentially is that they need to know about how important brain development is so that they can take steps and we need to elevate this position of parenting from just having a baby to being responsible for the successful brain development and successful resiliency and emotionally intelligent development of children and adults. Now for the final section of this fortnight's podcast, it's Incandescent Adolescent. This is the part of the show where we focus 100% on the the adolescent brain period, which is 12 to 24. What I want to ask today is, because we're talking about the self- and EQ, how can society do more to encourage the successful development of the self through adolescence and what might that look like? 
And for anyone who's listening, I would love for you to think about those questions as well. This this is obviously my podcast and I'm talking from my perspective and giving my views, but in order to get the best solutions, the more people we have involved in this, the better. I think it's about encouraging adolescents to take part in lots of different hobbies and interests to find out what they enjoy doing, to find out about themselves and to discover what they enjoy in life. And it shouldn't all be focused on academia and learning. Um, I think that it really should be focused on what do you enjoy doing, what's what makes you laugh, what makes you feel good. Um, what would that look like? It might look like the whole education system being given an overhaul, to be quite truthful. A lot of kids are not going to thrive in an academic environment because a lot of because not everyone is academic and not everyone should be expected to be academic. There are people who are creative. There are people who are good with their hands. There are people who are good at creating stuff. There are people who don't want to be academic or who don't want to venture down that road. And it's it's a real shame that not every adolescent is being given the, the opportunity. You know, there are adolescents who are probably being overlooked for being great at sports or for being great at something that they're not even getting the opportunity to explore at that age and instead they're being forced into making decisions about their future that don't really serve them at the moment so I think we need to be very aware of what we're doing to adolescents at that age at 13 14 years old they're just a couple of years into their adolescent brain their adolescent brain is forming and changing and tuning and pruning and for a lot of adolescents who don't have the home life and which is a much bigger topic of conversation isn't it amongst adolescents who are not being given the opportunities because of their postcode or because of their background you know how do we help them and I think it's worth saying here that the Scottish government are developing an app. They're actually putting money into developing an app, an AI bot, who's going to be used to help kids navigate their mental health. And I will talk about this again in another podcast in more detail, but I just wanted to touch on it today. I believe that that is wrong essentially I think it's dangerous I think it's giving it's just handing over children's emotional intelligence to a fake bot that could be programmed by who do we know who it's programmed by how do we know what it's saying to these kids how do we know what's being programmed into their brains from this fake bot so there really is a big conversation to be had around how we as a humane and human society without fake bots, without fake intelligence, how we encourage adolescents to be the very best versions of who they can possibly be when they reach adulthood at 25. That's it from me today from the Authential Intelemotions podcast. Thank you so much for Tuning in, you can catch up with me on Instagram on the Authential Intellimotions podcast feed and I will see you again in a fortnight, I hope. Thank you. Bye.